three, two, one. Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by Betsperts. Welcome to The Deep Dive. The evergreen series rolls on. We're going to talk. Cash money millionaires. Some staking today, man. Um, it is a beautiful Monday here uh, at the Deep Dive headquarters west. Hopefully the Deep Dive headquarters north has gotten a little warmer since the frigid, icy week that was. Um, I'll tell you what's not frigid and icy. Andy CBB plays. Holy crap. Check him out. On the- day. Oh, my God. Andy. My guy <laughs> is uh... having a day. He's having a month. Um, your golf stuff that we gave out last week on, uh, on Gil's show, a numbers game, was awesome. Uh, NBA plays everything we talked about. One, my NBA plays for NBC Sports all are in the green. It is crazy how seamless the transition has been from football season to let's win playing other sports. Are you having fun? Yes, definitely. Uh, golf golf took a hard turn against me um, on Saturday. Oh, did I had it? A, and that's the, that's the thing. I mean, it's like anything. I mean, how many times have you had a... Well, uh, look well the wind kind of screwed the tournament up. Yeah, the, the wind really did make some screwy things happen on Saturday, but I had a guy with a seven-stroke lead for a full tournament matchup that lost by like two. Like he, uh, he just—I mean, a couple of people ejected. It was—it was an odd Saturday, but I'm more than happy to get back into it. I did some fun stuff over at Matchbook. I gave out some plays there. I think two out of three of those won, so that's you can't go wrong there. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun week. Yeah, basketball's been on a fun little run. I even played a total on Sunday. Uh, my guy Mamba talked me into that one. Mamba Brinks. Nice. Yeah, Brinks has been good, too. Yeah, he, um, he, he put a nugget out on there. Yeah, he's, he's very good. Yep. He's, he's very good at some of that small ball, too. He is in MAAC territory. He mm. lives out in the East. So. Nice. Yep. I got, my, uh, I got my deep dive hoodie this weekend. Fired up about that. Uh, although, I got to tell you what, it's not hoodie weather out here in California anymore. It was legitimately hot this weekend. It is hot, hot today. Um, spring has come early. Uh, hopefully, I can get up and do some skiing in the local mountains before all the snow melts. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. What are we here to talk about? Staking, a little bankroll management, a little, yeah, little, little yeah, man, taking care, taking care of the money. Like you've, uh, you've worked, you've applied your craft you're getting better you maybe you've watched some of these maybe you've watched some other stuff maybe you've bought some books maybe you've learned some coding or at least something in excel and you you've done some stuff with the math and you think you have some winning systems you're doing well you're you're you know i I remember getting to this point in certain sports and been like "I'm, i'm doing okay and you didn't watch the you know the you know, the accounts didn't go up as fast as you thought. And, and some of it came down to bankroll management, staking, things like that. And there's a lot of questions. I mean, these are questions we've asked each other over over periods of time, too, where it's like, man, when when would you do, you know, when would you do a, uh, an advance in your unit size? Like, if you let, I mean, let's just for easy, let's say you're betting 100 bucks a game and yeah. you go on a nasty run. 
like 34 and 10 and you, you are up a bunch. Like, should you keep playing a hundred dollars a game? Should you be upping it? Should you've been playing a percentage of your bankroll anyway? Um, something I did early just because I don't, and I don't know why I did this, but like my first two years of college basketball, I would, again, I'm, I'm just going to use a hundred dollars for everything because it's going to be easy math, but I would be, let's say in minus minus one ten markets, I was betting a hundred dollars to win $90 and 90 cents on every game. Sure. And if you have a losing season, that'll save you money. If you have yes. a winning season, it'll cost you money. And I went and figured out how much money it cost me. And it kind of made me sad. I'm like, why wasn't, why wasn't I laying the juice? Why was, why was I staking differently than that? I felt like I was staking European style. Maybe I thought I was fancy, but there's a lot of, a lot of questions. I don't know if we have all the right answers, but I think we have some experience and, you know, playing around with this and we can probably put you on the right track. And a lot of it is going to be, you know, similar to other things we talk about where it's, you have to be comfortable with it. You know, you have to be comfortable with your plan, make the plan, plan the work, work the plan, all that jazz. And, you know, we'll try to give you some guidance and hopefully you can find your way and continue on your, your journey to uh, making some cash. Okay. So the answer to answer your question, the hypothetical you laid out for me, should I be up in my stakes? I'm 34 and 10, whatever. Yeah. In a vacuum, not knowing who you are, not knowing what you're doing, the easy answer is no. You should not up your sticks because 90-something percent of the bettors who are out there in the marketplace right now do not know how to quantify their edge. And in reality, if you don't know how to quantify your edge, then you should probably just flat bet and just recognize that it's an entertainment tax. And if you're winning... Great. Take your lady out for a nice dinner, buy her some flowers, you know, use that money to buy some extra top shots, whatever the hell you're doing with your money. I don't care. But if you are not quantifying your edge, you should not be thinking about how much should I be upping my stake because I'm on a winning streak. You know how I know this? I learned it the hard way, of course. Oh, yeah, we, freaking we learned course. a lot of these of things. Of course. Of course. I approach this as a you know, as you know, came came back to came back to sports betting in a big way once it looked to be pretty clear that the offshore industry was here to stay. Okay, back in the late two thousands, early twenty tens, it was dicey. People were losing money, entities were going under. The poker crunch came and really effed up the market. And you had clear recent history evidence to show you if the inter if the government stepped in and decided to swing its stick around, you were screwed. And so it was not really wise to go and put you know significant stakes onto these offshore platforms and expect that they weren't going to someday get seized, someday go under, someday just disappear into thin air. And then it kind of got stable in the early 2010s. I started finding, feeling more confident, actually sending money to these offshores to play and you know to reasonably stake my NFL action. And I had a great start to the season. And I, I you know, on truly on a heater. Again, not quantifying my edge, not running a model, just literally like I know the NFL. This seems like a good three-team parlay today. Hey, they all win. I'm a freaking genius. This is so easy. You're going to give me 10 points on the, on the three sides I know we're going to cover anyway. Easy. I'll just go ahead and print money betting the NFL this way and turn, you know, turn a thousand bucks into 2,000 bucks, 2,000 bucks into 4,000 bucks. And then the next thing you know, I'm on vacation in Hawaii. 
I have a gut feeling that Alabama is going to cover in the first half versus Auburn, uh, put a thousand dollars on it and lose. And then the rest of that day on vacation with my family and constantly chasing, trying to get back a thousand. And then the next thing you know, I come home and my $4,000 bankroll that I had built up is down to $50. <laughs> and where did I go wrong, Andy? You got you got confident, you got overconfident, and truthfully, like uh, that kind of that kind of triggered something for me too. Something a little, and this goes two ways because I do have a story about this later, probably. But a little bit of a tax that I used to pay, even when I was getting decent at some sports, where it'd be like I took the time, I was doing research. You and I would talk, we'd do our show. We were getting better at finding edges in the NFL. We were betting earlier in the week. We were finding some good stuff. And I would play three sides or three sides in totals. And they would be good. And I'd and, and you know what? There's some predatory, predatory workings to this at some of the sports books or some of the shops that you'll use where it'll say, Hey, you uh hey buddy, hey, you uh you wanna throw those in a parlay too? <laughs> it's yeah. right here. You can just it's it's just one more Man, field. Got, it's right. You went five and zero oh last week. Can you imagine if you parlayed them? Yeah. Well, no. I mean, it just it's right. You know, it's right there on yeah. the, on oh, the yeah, screen yeah. Where, where you're yes. where you're entering oh, your yes. and yes. right where you're into the stakes. And some will be like, "Oh, is this a parlay? Do you want to do those too?" But uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know, I would do that. And you know, again, I, let's just say hundred bucks, hundred bucks on three plays, and it's like I'll throw twenty five on a parlay, or you know, like I'll throw twenty five on a teaser too. And then it's just like if you go two and one. Let's say you you go two and one and you're up ninety bucks. Uh, you're not up ninety bucks because you played a teaser, you played a parlay, you effed around with it, and all of a sudden you're only up like forty bucks. And it, it's just a quick way to drain you when you when you have to just put those. That's just a little tax you put on your bankroll by effing around with stuff like that. No, absolutely true. Um, and I think when it comes to staking, specifically when you're getting started staking, uh, I think flat staking is important. I think flat betting is important. And I think, you know, you should realistically come into a season with a plan where, you know, you have a set, you know, set aside, uh, you know, whatever bankroll you're going to play with for that season. If you got a deposit to a sports book, whatever, if you're going to play on credit, I guess you got to think a little bit harder. But, um, you know, set aside whatever you think is a reasonable you know, amount that you're willing to lose every dollar of. Um, and then figure out, you know, hey, if I'm going to place this many bets and if I go exactly 50-50 on the season because I'm kept flipping coins, I'm going to lose blank. What's that answer? You know, yeah. are you, you know, are, and, and reasonably then back if out from that what your stake ought to be. Okay. And then, you know, so NFL season, you know, how many games are you watching a weekend that you're betting on? You're going to, you're going to make. Let's say you make 12 bets a week, you know, 11, you know, let's, say, let's do round numbers. Let's say you're making 10 bets, bets a week on the NFL and then another five on the, on college football Saturday. And then another, you know, random five props you hear or a parlay or two. So you're making 20 bets a week and you want to level stake across those 20 bets, recognizing that those are 20 coin flip bets and that your expected uh, return on the weekend is going to be minus two units. And you're going to do this for, 18 weeks of the season or 20, 20 weeks, including the playoffs, whatever you're, you're expecting to lose 40 units. In this that doesn't season. sound like any fun at all. Okay. And if you put, <laughs> no, but here's the math. So if you're going to lose 40 units in the season and you set aside $4,000 to bet, you're talking about only making hundred dollar bets. Okay. And so thinking about staking that way when you're getting started, I think is a good jumping off point. 
you know, consider how many bets you're making a week, expect a, a return of minus, you know, minus uh, the VIG and, uh, and then extrapolate it over the course of the season. Now, you know, presumably if you're listening to this information that you're getting on our podcast anyway, or you're, you know, you're running your own numbers or whatever, even if it's not a finely tuned edge that you have a true number, on you know maybe you're doing a little bit better and you can consider higher than that but reasonably i think anyone betting nfl at a hundred dollar stake you know hundred dollar pop stakes should be expecting to lose about four grand five grand a season yeah and that's uh that sucks don't say that out loud that's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> like, no but that's the way you got to think of this because if you think of it the other way around which is like well i'm only going to put a thousand bucks in and i'm going to bet a hundred dollars a play um Guess what happens? You get four weeks into the season, you got to restick, you got to re up, you got to redeposit. Put it maybe now, okay, yeah. this time I'm going to put 500 bucks in. Okay, but I'm, and okay, maybe I'm not going to bet 100 anymore. Now I'll bet 50. Well, guess what? Halfway through the season, you got to restick, you got to re up again, you got to redeposit again. Right. So the, li, realistically, that's, and, you know, I think that's the correct way to think about this because unless, of course, you are actually quantifying your edge. And we'll get into that whole discussion later, but that's, you know, we want to start with the basics in square one. And literally, I'm not telling you this because it's, you know, we, I read it in a book here. <laughs> like this was how it went in 2014, in 2015 for me. Yeah. Period. And reasonably, when I did do well, when I had week, good weekends in, say, 2015, and I, my balance was up and I was tempted to up my stakes, I literally had to be like, I'm going to find a different way to reinvest this money in some futures, some, some other stuff, so that I'm not tempted to go from $100 stakes to $200 stakes, right? Like, that was literally the thought process, that uh, I was trying to keep my bankroll down when I was doing well, so I wasn't tempted to, to up. Because in in reality, if you are above 500, but you're not actually quantifying your edge, eventually your regression will come calling. You'll flip some tails and when you're expecting heads. And uh, if you're playing 200 spot. a pop instead of 100 pop at that point in time, then you can drain the bankroll twice as fast. And then or, I mean, how, how many times when you were when you were younger and more naive and staking poorly did you have like a oh i you know I'm gonna bet five NBA games and you go three and two and you lose money. Or four and one, even worse, and lose money because there's one. Be like, I cannot believe the Lakers are minus three. They they should win by double digits at least. And you bet a hundred on everything and five hundred on the Lakers or something along those. I I know I've done that. I've seen buddies do that where it's like, man, you had a really nice Saturday. You went ten and two and you broke even because the big plays didn't pan out. And that's the thing that maybe my biggest pet peeve. And I shouldn't. I shouldn't throw stones because I'm sure there's plenty of really smart cappers. I know a lot of people who are able to quantify edges and I don't know what's going on behind the scenes with their numbers, but I will just say, I have a strong inkling that 90% of the people on Twitter that are saying I'm using a one to five unit system are not actually quantifying. Like, you know, that it's a lot of gut feel. I don't think they're saying, well, this, this, this is a one unit play because it meets this criteria. Like they're not using some, some fractional Kelly behind the scenes. It's, it's a lot of gut feelings. And that's where that drives me up a wall. See like, Oh, this is a, a five unit play. This is a three unit play. This is one. Like you feel like a lot of those people, and uh, I'm not saying it cause it, it's like affecting me personally. Maybe it's affecting some people who are tailing along, but I feel like a lot of those people might end up doing better 
if they just flat staked along the ways because you see that it's like man you have a bad run of your bigger unit plays and all of a sudden you're down where in actuality like a, a good majority of your plays are plus ev you would have won money over the long run and you shouldn't be overstaking some of these so that's kind of a and i think that's something you should take in until you actually have a system in place whether you've built in built in that's not a word built a model built uh, a built-in I'm going to, I'm going to coin that actually, unless you have, you know, a numerical model, you have some sort of algorithm, you are building power numbers out that you trust and you've back tested and you can say, you know, the Lakers over the nuggets is X amount percentage chance to win. And, you know, the Suns over the Kings is this X amount percentage to win. And there is a big difference in those. And you can say like, I find this to be a much stronger edge because of all this I've all this work I've done and back tested and I trust and it's good and then you can say this is a two unit play this is a one unit play until then I, I you know I'm not telling anybody what to do but I would strongly consider just flat staking across everything even to me but just and I I wouldn't say that I don't with my college basketball there are some that are much stronger <laughs> the, there well, there you're are now <laughs> the, the to fair, yeah, but also like even I mean I could tell. So give me five more accounts. You could like, double could, hit, you know, double I, hit, triple hit. I guess I'm you know I could you double stamp a triple stamper if I wanted. I could have you <laughs> bet something for a bunch everywhere. Sure, you that's, true. And, that's true. And you know if I wanted, if I really said, oh, this is a crazy strong edge, I could have five different people go max bet it all over and get down a bunch if I really wanted to. But I bet them all the same because these are fucking eighteen year old kids and there's so much variance in sports. <laughs> I mean, just in sports in general, the amount of variance there yeah. is. And maybe if I were betting totals, I, I would be more comfortable doing some different size staking. But college kids, college coaches, college game plans, end of game stuff, overtimes, the amount of variance there is in college basketball. I have, I get enough heartburn watching the end of these games. So no, no thanks on that. And, you know, maybe, maybe in a different sport, I could do some multi, multi level staking. Not not in college ball. So I mean, okay. and that that's uh, the question for you. I mean, if we're going on talking about our personal experiences, how do you sure. how do you differentiate? Do you differentiate your stakes in NBA? Uh, because I know I your your model is fairly complicated. <laughs> yes. But... Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I I I don't because you know I like I respect variance and you know the sometimes the bigger edges on i respect i respect variance and i respect the market if i was doing market entry consistently overnight then i would variable stake if i could or double tap double double triple tap sometimes if i could um but the but you know once the once the market is a little bit more mature i have respect for that and if my number is grossly off it doesn't always mean that's the best play <laughs> right there's entirely possible some piece of information some specific matchup angle that I'm not capturing with what I'm doing because you're again one player in a market with 10,000 participants and some of some of them are very sharp and they are moving numbers in a different direction than you and you know you have to respect that signal to a degree so I don't up my stakes when I have a bigger edge in the NBA because there's usually a, a reason why <laughs> that I'm, I'm wrong um, and in fact I think there's like a kind of a there's a there's a, a specific return um, on my NBA plays, grant you know, relative to edge, where it saturates if I'm at like two, three ish percent, and then the high ones are actually losing long term. 
right? So there is something, there is some signal there. Like I'm, I'm, I'm or not there, there's sure. There's just what something. There's some fly in the ointment that you're. There's just, some fly. There's right. some something underlying that you're not. Uh, there, right. Well, there's and some, it's like I've, I brought the, I brought this example up a few times. Gosh, it's it's still, and I still can never remember what team it was, but the biggest edge I've shown in like months. I mean, it was massive, and then it was oh, you you quick pull it up, and they had four players suspended. You know, yeah. like you know, yeah. like usually usually when I show an edge that is an outlier from my normal range of edges that I'm betting, it's because something goofy happened. Like the team, yeah. the team is missing a bunch of players or has some weird situational travel or altitude with missing players off no rest or something awful. That's really going to affect the game. But so for the most part, all of my edges fall within a certain range anyway. So I'm not getting crazy on it. And yeah. I, guess, I guess, you know, the other, the other question that has been posed to me over the years too, if you say, you know, if we're saying, Hey, just, Bet the same on every game. Just always bet the same until you in, in until you actually have something so complex and confident, and you're you're so in tune with the market that you think you can you know use a Kelly criterion or any sort of staking system to to differentiate your edges. But something I've seen people do, and you know a lot of it is just the platitudes that everybody spews about this sort of thing is, you know, this should be 1% of your bankroll or there's your one unit is 0.5%, you know, whatever you have, it's usually somewhere between a half percent and like three or 4% is a unit or however you want to say one bet. And there's some people that adjust game by game or night by night where they're saying, you know, like my bankroll is $5,000. I'm betting a hundred dollars a game. I went 10 and 0 last night. My bankroll mm-hmm. is now six thousand dollars. So now I'm adjusting. If I was betting X percent, my it goes up by a bit. I did try that. I tried that for a little bit. It drove me nuts betting weird amounts. Like, like I, a few years ago, it, it was just goofy because I had a spreadsheet that would just you know tell me what my my one unit size was, and I'm like, this is I don't like betting like you know one hundred and thirty four dollars and fifty cents or whatever. You know something some weird amount. It just bothered me enough that I didn't care for it. I'm, you know, I felt like if if a bankroll did jump up enough, maybe there was cause to up it a little. But even then, maybe that's my one superstition in this whole thing. Outside <laughs> of outside of uh, betting outrights, if I do a one and done in golf, but my other superstition is just I can't really raise raise mid season because yeah. that's if you raise your unit size, if you raise your betting, and then you go on a cold streak. I'm not sure you're going to fucking psychologically recover from that. That would ruin me. It would ruin me for the year. <laughs> yeah, I like, know. If, if you, if enjoy, you raised if it you right en- before you went gold, oh my God, I'd, I'd die. Yeah, I know. If you enjoy the highs and lows of Kelly Criterion betting, just go trade Bitcoin on leverage. If that's your, if that's what you're, if you're into those thrills, that's a more fun way to play. Um, yeah, you want to get no, your in kicks. seriousness. Yeah, no, in, in seriousness, um, I will get to, we'll get to, Kelly criterion and quantifying edge in a little more detail in a sec, but going back a little one step to the, the novice player and variable staking. Um, I can see psychologically that variable staking opens up a permission structure for you to chase more effectively. Yeah. Right. If you are down on the one o'clock and the four o'clock games on a Sunday and you have a bet already in mind for Sunday night, but you haven't played it yet. And you're like, well, I'm variable staking one to three, five, one to five units. And, 
you know, God, you know, I've been cold all day, but I really like this side. It's a five unit play, right? Like that's, that's a great way to go on tilt. Boy, have I great seen, that. seen that. <laughs> great people way. People oh, yes. I know. And yeah. just, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a thing. Yeah. Well, and you, know, you see, the get, the, get, the, get back, the get back play is, is common vernacular in the sports betting space. And it literally and it means like you're it, making it goes, a bet to get back all of your losses on the day. And that in generally means it's a bigger bet. Or I've seen it go both ways. And I've seen this from dozens of people where it's like, <clears throat> All right, let's say noon games, three o'clock games, NFL. You got just shit canned. You got killed. You <laughs> lost so much money. It's like, well, I really like. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, I had an idea earlier. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, I really, really do like the Falcons tonight. That's a strong play for me. All of a sudden, it's your get back. It's your five unit. I'm breaking even. I'm not paying the bookie tomorrow. And then the on the other direction, it's like noon, three and oh, three o'clock, two and one. You're up a bunch. I'm playing with house money. This is a five-year-old oh, play. Yeah. <laughs> you, see, you, see oh, yeah. you see it both yeah. ways where it's like there's always um, whatever cognitive biases or just, you know, whatever reasoning you're using in your own head to talk yourself into doing that one as a big play. Like uh, That's why the handle on Sunday night is big, not only because it's a standalone game, because it's the get back and Monday settle day, man. So that's yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it from both directions. Like I'm I've playing with it. house money. Like I'm I've doubling up it. here. Yeah, no, I've seen it. Um, okay, so one last thought on this, and then we'll answer a question from John Oswald, which is just awesome because that's a topic I really wanted to get into on this pod. Um, yes. The yeah. the um, you know, again as a novice better. Uh, if you do well and you're betting a hundred dollars to play with a thousand units to start with, and next thing you're at 2000 or 4,000 for sure, there will be cog, you know, you mentioned cognitive biases. There will be, uh, this isn't as fun to put a hundred dollars at stake when my bank rolls 4,000, right? Like yeah. even more than just convincing yourself you're good at it that the actual skin in the game, the risk reward sort of feeling that you are, you reward that you get from making a bet is impacted by how much your bankroll is. And if you have a whole bunch more bankroll at stake, you know, bet at, in your hand to play with, you know, about a hundred dollar bet might not feel, you know, especially, you know, meaningful anymore. Uh, you know, and that, that definitely plays into it as well. The last thing I want to mention is, um, the media part of things water again. and if you've if you've ever seen people who are out there like um mattress mac put three million dollars on the bucks to win the super bowl right or hey we got this big better put fifty thousand or 100k blah blah like you you do this long enough you eventually that'll be entertaining seeing that stuff just like wow like okay they'll just let anybody put whatever if they think they're a minus cv better they'll just write those tickets they don't care that's that's entertaining when you get in you know, 10 years doing this right if you're new to this one of the me one of the reasons that that's effective marketing is because it moves the bar in your head as far as like oh it's like steak like like you don't want to have um what's the right word like you don't want to be like oh i'm just staking a hundred dollars on these games like I'm not, you know, I'm not serious at this, right? Do you know what I'm getting at? Like stake size, uh, you know, in you know, just like the 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 true like the mechanism in your head where you're like, well, other people out there are betting a lot of money on this. Like, why am I only betting fifty or a hundred dollars on these games? 
Well, yeah, I mean? that, 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 that turns into a whole thing too. And I've seen that where people are, I don't know if they stake shame themselves and, uh, but it's the same thing. Like think about when you were 19 or you're in college or just getting out of high school, like you needed a vehicle. You aren't going to go buy a brand new Mercedes or, you know, some $75,000 pickup truck. That's all, you know, pimped out. It's just not, not how life works. Like it would be nice. And the same thing goes with those people. Like they have either, you know, either they have a shitload more money than you to begin with and they are willing to part with it or they have built a bankroll up. Like you can't, you can't just say, well, other people are betting this much. I'm going to bet this much. It does have to be based off your bankroll. Otherwise, in the long run, variance is going to take care of that bankroll for you. And you're just going to have to start over anyway. And then you're not going to be able to bet bigger sooner. It'll it literally, it'll, it works in the opposite way. It'll take you longer to get yourself up to a, a spot where you can be betting bigger amounts or a bigger part of your bankroll because your bankroll is bigger. So it, it does work against you that way. Like you just yeah. have to, it just, it's a tough pill to swallow. You just have to deal with it. Like it's, yeah. this is, what, no, yeah. this is, and this is your it, bankroll. This is how much you're betting. And if that doesn't tickle your fancy and you want to bet more, it's, you can again, do whatever you want. I'm, I'm, it's a free country, but it, it might not work out very well. Yeah, but I guess what I was, I think the word I was, or the concept I was looking for was uh, it triggers an inferiority complex when you start to yeah, see, and that, and that's oh, the thing. these people are betting thousands of dollars. Similarly on the parlays, like you yeah. read somebody hit a 12-team parlay and they made $50,000, it triggers a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, you know your, 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 yeah, it, yeah, it triggers in the back of your brain, like, shit, I can do that. Like, I can, I, I've, I've been right 12 picks in a row uh, before, you know, like it definitely, um, it's definitely. Last month. Yeah, all all of that stuff is designed to get you to stake more, to you know, to not you know, to be because you know, again, what's the average stake for a punter in the UK? Five quid. It's like four dollars, <laughs> literally. Yeah, it is something <laughs> like they've got it figured out over there. It's it's fun. It's recreational. It's it's not like you know. Let, let's say you go to the gas station and you buy a scratch off. Like you know, you're not. Oh, give me six hundred dollars worth of those. Like for some reason that, you know, I know people who do that actually, but you know, it's like, it's like, you're fine. You know, if somebody wants to have fun and do a a scratcher, like uh, most people are fine. Just give me a five, you know, a $5 one or a $2 one or whatever. But for some reason in betting, you you do see that. And that's the thing. If you look at some of these numbers, if you follow Captain Jack or Alfonso with some of the news and you see how these books are doing on their handle and how much they're doing on parlay money, like the fact that you're seeing one of those from their PR Twitter account every day, like this guy turned four dollars into seventy five thousand. Not a bad night. Like yeah, that, <laughs> they also like <clears throat> that guy turned four dollars into seventy five thousand dollars, and that book still made a bunch of money on parlays that <laughs> night. Like that that's a drop in the bucket. They still crushed yes, everyone. They were like they're not very no, no PR accounts can be like. Yeah. Hey, you know, we, we had 300,000 of these plays last night and, and this is the one that won. You know, it's it, best it thing is, that ever, best thing that can happen. Availability bias. Best, yep. Yeah. Best thing that can happen to them. Somebody hits a huge parlay, you get to go now make news with that and convince other people to do it too. And then even that guy and that parlay money won, what are the odds that that's all coming back? 
<laughs> I mean, it, it, it all comes back, man, eventually, like realistically, like the biggest wins. And that's the that's the other funny, crazy thing about profiling players in the U.S. and what they're doing nowadays and, you know, profiling sharp players, not taking their action based on like small sample size. Like, come on, like 90, 90 something percent of these people aren't winning long term. Like they're going to eventually if they do well over a small sample size, the chances that they're going to give it back betting other stuff you know continuing to bet that sport with bigger staking like it it all it all comes back like it's it does feel very uh short-sighted uh to profile customers and really limit anyone's action period even the, the known it, it, players who are long-term it winners does beget, yeah it begets more like uh you remember when the jets beat the rams i do so uh a buddy a guy i work with i used to work with he uh he sent me a ticket that that evening he'd parlayed jets money line with like seven favorites from that day that won like and i mean he, i mean he turned whatever like a, a few bucks it was you know like 25 bucks into like two grand or something silly and oh boy he it was not none, it was of, it an made, none of it made it to the super bowl did a <laughs> like, dollar no, he, make it to the super he, bowl he drew he drew a bunch of it out but i oh, said okay, you, drew, you drew all of it out he's like Oh God, no! I left some. I left a bunch in there to make way more of these. Like even he knew. Like I gave him shit. I'm like, that's the worst thing that's gonna happen to you. He's like, yeah, I know. I had to like really struggle to, you know, say I should take some of this money and like buy something with it or do something with it instead of just leaving it all in there and pissing it all away. Eventually, he's like, it's like I did leave a few hundred bucks just to play around with yeah. and do more of these. So I mean, even yeah, that is yeah. tough enough. And and I mean he doesn't do crypto so he paid like a wire fee to get that money oh like, no it was, it was like he had taken that two grand if he had taken that two grand out in the middle of december he would have 50 grand right now right oh no no it hasn't gone up that much he would have like uh he'd have like 15 grand yeah uh, yeah it's like probably got up like a multiple of six or seven yeah i mean there is that but i mean that is the thing it's it's availability bias like everybody, uh, you read about a shark attack and like, oh my God, a shark attack. That's awful. And it's like, you know, if you actually look at the statistics, you're more likely to be killed thousands of other ways that are yes. much more mundane that do not make the news. That's availability bias. You see this tweet from this, you know, this shop saying, look what this, look what this butter did. He took 10 bucks and <laughs> turned it into a house or, you know, red paper clip into a house shit. Right. And, and that's the thing. They're going to show you that now you can't fault them. It's their marketing. That's it works, but you, yeah, you're not seeing the other 200,000 bets that week that didn't win the, yeah. all these long shot parlays. So just, yeah, don't, don't let that stuff creep into your mind too much. And I know it's difficult because the thing about a cognitive bias is it's, you don't it's know. Incredible. Yeah. You don't you know, know no better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, all right, let's pivot into talking about what we do now. Now that we have a couple of years experience doing this and we've paid our we've paid our tuition <laughs> in this space and we've come up enough to where we're not, you know, reloading accounts every quarter of a season. Um, and let's let's use John's question here to, to jump off. Is, does the type of bet ever impact your stake future pregame in game? Of course, I'm sure much longer futures get smaller stakes. That is a fair point. And it really is when it comes to futures in particular, I'm mostly looking at um, you're you're governed by what's the payout, what's the limit, right? If you're playing in an offshore, if you're trying to get like a forty to one on an MVP in the NFL, something like that, you know, you're probably only going to get a couple hundred bucks down, 
right? You're not going to be able to get a thousand dollar bet on a 40 to one very many places. Now you can use multiple accounts. You can use multiple shops. You can tie up lots of bankroll, but for sure you have to keep in mind whenever you're placing season long action that you're taking bankroll away, you're taking credit away from being able to use that bankroll towards game by game betting. So if again, going back to the conversation we were having before, like you're going to play the NFL season, you're flipping coins, you're expecting to lose 40 units. You start with 4k. You're going to make $100, $100 bets. You you stock, you stock make $10 bets before the season starts. You've already locked up a quarter of that bankroll, and the likelihood that you're going to have to reload at some point is higher, right? Yeah. And I, that does come into play for sure. And in general, I'm not putting full unit stakes on futures. I'm mostly just finding prices that I think are especially off-market, are fun, are you know and and uh, you know putting whatever limits they can get down at places like Bet Online, Bookmaker, whatever, and it's usually not that much. Um, the you know the and you know when it comes to game by game betting nowadays, what I do pregame or even in game, um, I'm I would say I am very consistent in the NFL betting pregame at. Nitrogen Sports, don't want to give them free pub, but whatever, I don't care. They've been very good to me over the years. Betting with Bitcoin, betting when stakes go up, uh, usually Tuesday morning I'm getting down, when limits are kind of intermediate. I'm not a limit better when, you know, Sunday morning limit better. Um, but when the stakes are up, yeah, betting I'm limit literal yeah. vehicles. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, although our friend Cal did win, like of of like a a, a small house after. Uh, on that kicker prop on that kicker prop. Oh, I thought we were talking. Yeah, talking blackjack. yeah, I was on blackjack. Yeah, um, but that, but uh, um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm level staking in the NFL when the limits go up uh, on like Tuesday morning, Wednesday sometimes. Um, getting it, weather injury information are starting to solidify, but the markets haven't totally caught up to that yet. If you're waiting till Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, the market has moved on you. I'm I'm out of the game because uh, you know now they're taking 50k, you know, per bet limits, and and the you know the people who are willing to stake at that level who have a track record of winning in the NFL, or they're moving the market, and you know, and and you know, I'm I'd like to be in before them, to to put it kindly. Um, in before. And so then we get to, okay, there's an in-game play, the halftime play. Uh, I have amazing amount of respect for the fact that those markets are in general sharper. As soon as you have information coming into the game, coming into a market, you are at a disadvantage already in general, right? The halftime, you may have a very, very solid system for making second half plays that are plus EV. It doesn't change the fact that on average, there will be more EV, in my opinion, on a Tuesday or Wednesday NFL bet placed than there will be at halftime of a game. And so I'm never really using full stakes that I would play pregame at halftime in play, anything like that. Are you very, in the same very boat? rarely. Like there has to be a, a situation where it's like, you know, something situational has happened and the book is like, well, they they are not taking this into account like that this player might not play it the rest of the game or something silly like that. Like there, there's very rare situations where like, this is a absolute to use like doubt language, just a banger of a second half play, like second half plays that the market has a lot of information. They're very good at setting those numbers. You know, that not only, not only is that stuff, you know, uh, you know, there's plenty of algorithms for, 
where those should be set at based on how the game's gone already and what's, you know, what's going to happen in that situation. But there are, you know, most, most of those lines, there's active traders putting those numbers that know what they're doing. So I, yeah, same thing. Like my biggest stakes would be obviously pregame stuff, uh, second half live betting, anything like that, derivatives, props, that is going to be smaller stuff just because, Actually, props maybe shouldn't be. Some of that stuff is pretty easy to beat if you know the right people or have the right numbers. But uh, yeah, some somebody asked me that, like, do you ever not bet just one unit? And I, yeah, the answer is yes. When I bet less than one unit, like, there's many times I don't bet one unit. Yeah, it's when I bet half or a quarter or a tenth because it's a like like the question from uh, what was it, John? Or I hate to yeah, yeah John, John as well. Right. Um, when it's a long shot future. You know, I'm I'm not oh, yeah. level stake. If it's a hundred to one, I'm not putting a full stake on that. If it's no. if it's something silly, you know, if it's a derivative, those are our halftime plays. Those are not bad as big as full game plays when we do our our halftime shows. Any team total over that when it's the secret pod play, yeah. those are you know those are smaller bets. Everything like that, you you do need to scale it back because a lot of that is it's not your bread and butter. It's not what you're working all week towards placing. You know what? You know what I will say. In just to add a little bit of context to the discussion, so let's talk about preseason. We both advocated for the Chiefs on the what, NFC in the pod we did, kind of previewing their season. We were like, okay, they're I think they were plus five fifty at the time, right? I don't have a problem putting one unit down, a sing, same same size staking as I'm going to play in game to win five six units, whatever. You know, that's that's a reasonable return considering it's going to sit there all season. Okay, and then every other futures bet that I'm placing, whether it's a long shot that I think is going to come in one way from from week one, or if we're making market entry on the Ravens at eighteen to one week eleven, I'm looking for that same sort of return of six units total because I want to be generally I want to fill out a portfolio where I have uh, you know a hundred percent expected return of the same level across everything so that you're not worried about moving numbers around at the very end. Uh, and so I generally am setting my stakes for all the other future entry I'm making by whatever the biggest first bet I'm making is on the thing yes. that I think is going to come in for the full season. Okay. And I, and in general, and you know, my strategy with the chiefs was one unit on the chiefs before the season started. And so we get to the, you know, Ravens were 18 to one at one point to win the AFC and, I'm doing the numbers and I'm like, yeah, it should be nine or maybe six. And so I'm looking at like, you know, 0.5 to win nine on them to win the AFC, right? That was so I'm trying to kind of keep it in the same ballpark there. Now, something like tennis and the Australian Open we'll use as a good example. I'm way more aggressive in the futures market in terms of stake because it only takes two weeks to resolve this. You're not locking up bankroll for five months, right? If you're playing preseason win totals, Four months worth gone. If you're if you're playing, uh, yeah. Well, that's a good question. So yeah, if if you're playing, um, you know, any of we'll these preseason markets, and and you're locking up bankroll for a long time, uh, it you know it's 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 not necessarily a plus EV strategy unless you do it a certain way. And I guess how would you describe your futures strategy overall? I take it easy in general, and Xerxes here, if I'm saying that right, because I have seen the movie Three Hundred. No big deal. Um, it, it, the hold is terrible. Like I take futures lighter 
I, you know, you, you said you played the Chiefs for like a full year. I, I didn't. I don't. I ne- even even lower odds ones. Maybe tennis if it's a big favorite or something. I'll go a little bigger. But for the most part, futures futures are a small part. They're fun. I enjoy hitting them. I enjoy winning. But some of these the holds are nasty. Uh, this is something we explored the other year with the MVP market in the NFL. You took a snapshot of the MVP market. You took, um, and people are unfamiliar with the math. What you did was you took every price and you turned it into a probability. So like, you know, if somebody is plus 100, it's 50-50 that they're going to win that match or in this case, that award. You took all those prices, turned them into probabilities. And then if you add up all those probabilities, you would think, well, that should add up to like 100. No, it adds up to like 180. Because yeah. it's a tough market like that, and that—that's what uh, the the question here is. The hold is awful in these. You know, the the hold on a on a game is four and a half percent, whereas right. a hold like this is massive. And what you did was take a snapshot of the MVP market a couple weeks later after there was some big movement on a couple of players where maybe that was the Mitch Trubisky year where he got hit. Like I don't remember. Which one either, either way, there was several longer shots, maybe in the 75 to hundred range. It got bet down into the twenties and thirties and you, you didn't think they were making adjustments and you were right. Cause you, you ran the numbers again and the hold went up. So that's yeah, another like 190% thing. now. Yeah, be, yeah, right. be, care- they be moved, careful. Yeah, they moved like five players in 2%, and now the hold was 190 instead of 180. Yeah, yeah. so that, that's the thing with futures, too. They, a lot of future books, it's harder to look. Like, you know, if you were to look at a, uh, a basketball game at book A and book B, and one book was minus 110 on both sides, and the other one was minus 120, um, you know, I wouldn't have to hit you over the head and tell you which one to bet at. But if you took a look at two books, and it was a multi bet market like MVP or to win the Super Bowl and you just took a cursory glance at both, there's no chance anybody outside of Rain Man could tell us which had, you know, which is the better one to bet at if the two, you know, obviously you could compare the price of the team you wanted and that's the best way to do things, I would suppose. But one of them might be a way bigger hold and it's it's hard to see because you can't just look at it and at a glance tell me what the hold is. So the, that is the yeah. big problem. Mm-hmm. Like uh, like uh, an edge has to beat the, beat the VIG and when the VIG is like 80%, your edge is never that good. It's it's usually just betting renegade numbers or something that you legit think is going to win anyway, or you have yeah. a chance to buy out of or something along the line. So, like in the long run, futures are probably a bad idea. Yeah, no, for sure. And you you I, I, you have to approach it with a very specific mindset, in my opinion. And Xerxes is on it again. Yes, because yeah, I, again, a- like in the MVP market, they have. Uh, 40 running backs in there that should all be 0%, but they're all 1% or 2%. And if you can strike all those guys as zeros, then you start to come down to some more reasonable holds. And similarly, like the Jets and the Bengals last year weren't going to be reasonable (laughs) prices to win the Super Bowl off the beginning of the season. You could strike those teams and you can start to get a more reasonable hold. But the idea really is you want market entry is everything. In futures, I don't even know how many times we have to say this on this podcast. It's kind of been a drum we've been beating for two years. But you do not play the futures market like you're looking into a crystal ball, like you like you have you know some uh, special vision from God that Team X is going to win, and that's the only bet you're placing at the beginning of the season. You absolutely have to think of it as: is this the best price we will see on this team? Because I want to place five or six bets across the teams that I think all have realistic shot 
to win, but I want to get the best price on all of those teams so that at the end of the day, I have a 100% probability to pay a future, but my hold is now negative. And so you are capturing the, that, that value, right? Because if you're getting a six to one on a team that cl closes this ends the season three to one, you got an eight to 18 to one on a season team that closes the season six to one. Uh, you know, you're going to, you do that for enough teams. You're going to be able you'll, to you'll some. get the hold in your advantage. And you ideally, yeah. you realistically, you want an 80% hold. And, and the, and the good point from Xerxes there too is, the fact that, and this has kind of been a long time coming, and it's a risk management thing because there used to be, uh, when the Rams won the Super Bowl, there were people that had 300 to 1 tickets. When Lester won, there were people that had 5,000 to 1 tickets. You know, the, the, the fact is now those numbers are more realistic. And like the Jets, the Jets and uh, Bengals, Ray, you know, Jets, Bengals, Jaguars last year, they probably should have been like 1,000 to 1. But, you know, in, in the odd case, there's some weird trade or something happens or just, uh, you know, there's some injuries. Nobody wants the liability on a thousand to one shot because of, you know, the, the Jets probably win it more often. Than, it's sad to say that, like, I'm having trouble putting those words out of my mouth. The Jets likely win the Super Bowl last year more than once in a thousand times. Like the, there's something, you know, something wild can always happen. And I mean, just look at, again, like the Rams, when they won, they were 300 to one books don't like to pay out things like that. So they, they do have to overrate these long shots. It creates the hold, but yeah, you know, like a lot of these holds it's, it's, it's more in the 120 to 130 range. And then, you know, the next like 50, 60% is just garbage that has no chance. They can say that in a lot of championships, like there's, there's teams, they're going to put prices on the Timberwolves to win the NBA finals. Like that, yeah. that's just not a thing that's going to happen. You know, the Hawks are not going to win the title. It's, they have to put prices on those, those take up a part of the market. Like the, the good point, Ben Xerxes, like when you look at the actual realistic chances, the hold isn't as bad, but it's still, it is something that you, you know, you have to beat. And I think that's kind of what we've put into our preseason work is let's look at these teams. What should we bet now? Which we bet yeah. during the season. Your, yeah, your two choices be are. Entryway, your two choices should be right. Exactly, you said it exactly right. Your two choices are: don't play the futures at all, forget it, or make a plan. And then, speaking of making a plan, John Oswald again with another great question here. Seems like I'm totally naive to think there is an advantage to bet some sports in game instead of pregame, like tennis. Seems like you can adjust faster than the book on the Dimitrov match. That is exactly the case for that match. Now again, John? and now again, here's the thing: you need to have a plan. You can't just you can't just uh, you can't just get in, you know, go expect to watch a match and see the magical angle and make the bet in game, right? You absolutely have to sort of, you know, say, okay, well, I'm going to set aside this portion of my bankroll to make in game plays, and if I see something that the book is not adjusting that's qualitative that I can cap capitalize on quicker than them then I will do that. And that's, that's, that, you know, that probably has a higher expected return than pregame betting, but your overall volume doing that is like one fiftieth, one thirtieth, right? Like I, I, I could, you know what I could say, you know what the highest EV play I made all year was the national anthem uh, uh, over, yeah. you know, and guess what? I, I had one of those this year, one, right? So it's not like, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a, a year maker. Right. <laughs> you got to no. you got to recognize the fact that you're only going to get a handful of shots at in play, you know, missed prices. And 
you can do well on that. And I have done well on that in the past and thought I had like a skill at that and then turn out that then you end up starting to force things because now you've watched like 10 hours of tennis, like five, six matches. You're getting kind of tired of tennis and you're like, I'm still waiting for this obvious guy to break down and quit <laughs> and I'm not seeing it. This guy kind of looks like he's breaking down and quitting. All right, let's go. Let's go for it. Let's fire away. Right. And now you're making a coin flip bet without actually you know, having a plan or having a strategy in place. So, yeah, and, th and that, that's the thing too. It's, it's similar to, you know, you have to be comfortable staking plays that are going to lose a good majority of the time. It's similar to players who bet underdogs in baseball, hockey, money line sports like that. Players that bet underdogs in soccer, horse players who are comfortable winning like 20% of the time or less, probably less Yeah. on, you know, yeah. some of these uh, way less, I would expect a, you know, a successful horse player, like this, futures are similar to that. It's, it's, you know, this bet, which was a good bet is going to lose many, many times. And you're just going to have to keep after it, make good bets, make good market entry. Like the, you know, the numbers are tough. It's tough to overcome the vig and futures. You just have to, you know, time the market entry and say like, is this a bet on team? now later or never you know that there's three options on that and if it's later the later can often turn into never because it's like later if the packers lose these three games that are tough off the bat and the vikings have an easy schedule they get a couple winners and all of a sudden the market is flipped and the schedules will be easier in the inverse later in the season. And we have a nice market entry spot. If those things yeah. don't happen, you have to be sticking to your plan, sticking to your guns. You can't be like, oh, I was so excited to bet the Packers in week five to win it all. And it didn't yeah. work out that way. And if, if you don't stick to the plan on that, you're going to piss. Again, that's another good way to piss money away. Like, well, I really wanted to place that bet, so I'm going to do it anyway. You know what? Before we get to baseball season and we'll do a baseball pod with a good baseball better, we'll do our futures, kind of our futures evergreen, because I want to get into this. In yeah, we're getting detail. way off topic. <laughs> I um, like it, though. No, because it, it all plays into the same thing, which it, is how, it do you, really how do you make these decisions? But yeah, you know, we'll, so for Xerxes, for some of these uh, you know, guys who have kind of continued questions on this, we'll, we'll describe this in a little bit more detail later, how you go about choosing what to play preseason versus what you wait for in season and kind of the concept of a portfolio filling out a portfolio so that you have the, the, you have a positive hold against the house. Um, yeah. And I mean, that is, that is the main thing you should take away from that for, you know, uh, what we're trying to talk about here, which is bankroll management, managing your stakes is I think I, I kind of got to it at the end. Like you have to be super comfortable saying I'm not playing this at all. Because you some often that's the best play. It's like the the situation didn't demand it. The situation didn't turn out. I'm not placing this bet, and uh, that's something. I think that's something I've learned because the situation I described, I did that a lot. Where it's like, well, I really wanted to bet the Browns after like mid season after some things happened. It didn't shake out that way. Fuck it, I'm doing it anyway. And yeah. you know, it, it's then it's a bad bet instead of a okay bet. And well, uh, that's yeah, something well, I've I've had to get away from. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's God. We could go on on this. We'll do a whole futures pod. We'll yep. do we'll do looking at yeah. We'll do a futures evergreen crystal ball. It'll we'll have to have a crystal exactly. ball thing in the. Yeah, that'll be fun. Um, okay, so any other kind of macro level stuff about kind of staking that you want to touch on today? There was a good. You yeah, sent me a couple of good notes uh, before we started this. Um, 
Kelly betting. You want to touch on that real quick? It would be in. Okay. <clears throat> Let's pretend now we're going fa fast forward. You've been doing this for 10 years. You have an advanced degree in mathematics. You have a set of <laughs> tools and algorithms and skills and Python code up the wazoo to scrape data and run a machine learning math model and craft a very impressive quantification of your edge. You back tested it over 10 seasons or in the case of the MLB, you've back tested it to World War II <laughs> and it's a great system. And you're ready to go fire away on this now. Kelly Criterion is ultimately the correct math answer to how you should be staking. If you if your edge is correct and you are um, you've quantified it correctly um, and you have an unlimited um, you know unlimited bet sizing because eventually you know if you're starting out with a hundred thousand dollars and you're like okay we're gonna turn this hundred thousand dollars into a million dollars at some point if you're expecting to place you know multiple hundred thousand dollar bets you are going to run into issues of scalability and that happens to a lot of very very good players. Scalability is a huge problem if you're trying, even if you're trying to bet into a liquid market. Okay. But let's say that you are, you know, you are, you're, you're, you're pregame betting close to tip off in the NBA. You're going to make 600 bets on a given season. You're going to, you're going to hit the, hit them for the limit. And you want to, or you're, you're, you know, your lim the limit's 50 grand a tip. And you're, you know, you're going to start with a grand and Kelly bet your way up uh, with the, with the massive bankroll. Um, that is the correct way to size your bets, period. It's the mathematically correct way. And it is it is volatile. There, It is absolutely subject to extreme volatility because even if you absolutely correctly quantified your edge, you are still subject to the whims of a ball bouncing around and 10 players on a court at a given time uh, doing insane things and referees calling referees. double technical fouls on Draymond Green. Um, and just all kinds of stuff. All kinds of we, stuff can go for We, we should post, um, and anyone, you know, we won't get too in the weeds on the absolute math behind Kelly, but I mean, it, anyone, I think we should take a quick step back. Like, real, 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 basically, if someone doesn't know what Kelly Criterion is, if you can, if you can say, I have a bet I'm going to make, this is the line, this is the edge I have. Let's say it's minus three, you make it minus five, or it's an even money bet and you think it should be priced minus 130. You take that edge, you build it up to a percentage, and you can plug your percentage in and say, this is my edge. It'll tell you what percentage of your bankroll to bet based on how big your edge is. That's all there is to it. It's a little more complicated, but really it's, it's kind of not. And I think when we post this podcast up tomorrow, today if you're listening today we should put a link to our friend matt's article about this because it isn't as black and white as you're saying even though it kind of is it's complicated how i just said that but the 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 variance that that is the real world the real world is not on a chalkboard on a spreadsheet like it is tricky and matt makes some really good points because this this is kind of an ongoing argument between the the math nerds of the world as far as should you play full ass kelly and, you know, if you want to describe, like, some people will play a fractional, use this, but at a fraction of it, where they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to use it, but at a, at a fractional price, where I'm, I'm scaling it down, so I'm not, you know, a massive edge, I'm not putting 
20% of my bankroll on this massive edge or something. So a lot of people do scale it down, but they use it because they like this, the, uh, the scaling in between what they're betting, where they're saying this edge is this amount of money, this edge is X amount of money. And the difference is that's nice. I think a lot of people like that, but the, the high volatility of sport using full Kelly can be a little scary. And then uh, really, and it's funny because once you get to the point where you have this seven, eight, nine figure bankroll or that amount of credit or that amount of outs and runners and beards and bets. And the fact is once you get to that point, you're hitting a ceiling anyway, and every bet's going to probably be the same amount because you're just going to bet as much as you possibly can on every bet. And it becomes moot at that point. So it, it kind of gets silly once it gets to that range anyway, for like a, a true professional, a true syndicate, a, a big group of, professional betters but for yeah. for your you know for your if you're listening to this and you want to do something i i think a lot of people if they are using something if they've built out a model and they can they're comfortable with an edge like using a fractional kelly would be not the worst way to start i would start tracking it like i would bet how oh, yeah. i always bet but sure. i would i would do um and maybe we met, did we mention this the other paper betting and we've both said we can't really do it because it drives us nuts. Not really. No, but betting. if you're going to set up a back test, but yeah, back test it on paper. Like, say these were my edges, and go look at how you did over the last like 200 bets. And if you have those edges handy, like look at what your bankroll was, and then uh, assign those Kelly Kelly variables and say, well, this bet would have been. I mean, just say like you, this bet would have been a hundred dollars. This bet would have been 180. This bet would have been $60 and then go back and assign it and see, I think it's a good way to probably tell if like, if your differences and edges are semi-accurate because sure your bigger edges yeah. should, and maybe 200 is not enough, but it's, it's a start. So I, I would think maybe doing some back testing with Kelly would be something I'd be more comfortable with before I just dove into using it. I don't know. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I get what you're saying. I mean, it's it it's it's the correct math. It is a hundred percent correct math solution, and so it's a solved problem. But it implies that you have the the hundred percent known edge probability correct That's calculated correctly, and if the, I guess I have kind of come around the hard way, the long way to understanding the how valuable the market information is. And the idea that the market close is ever going to be off by more than X percent is not obvious to me. Not over and certainly not over a big Does enough that, sample. Do you know what I'm trying to say though? Like yes. is a 20% like you calculate a 20% edge? Is that possible? No, probably not. <laughs> probably no. not. Maybe if you had some some information, if it was an informational oh, situation, sure. that's the one you know, off. Though. Yeah, yeah, one off, one off stuff like that where you have some 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 stuff like that. But like that, that's the problem I have with one hundred percent full Kelly. It implies that your edge is correct, and yeah. your edge to to know that your edge be correct would imply that you know the future. Yeah, that, you know what? If somebody yeah, like came, if, if somebody came, a right. liquid market. All right. If Biff Tannen from the future came to you with an almanac and gave you an almanac, it. but it didn't have the scores, it just had the closing lines. 
on every sport, on every game, your strategy would be the closing price is the correct, the true correct price. Oh, I like the this exercise. Opener, the opener, I'm going to calculate my edge based on the difference between the opener and the closing correct true price, and I'm going to Kelly stake based on that. Yeah, I would do that. That would be your that would be your plan, and you would print money for for eternity. And you'd open a casino in the hell <laughs> the hellscape alternate nineteen eighty five with Leah Thompson. She got a breast enlargement in that version. Yes, she did. Yeah, that's and true. I think Biff and Biff I think and they might have just put her in a push up bra. I couldn't really tell. Well, no, yeah, I don't think they actually did surgery on her for the movie. <laughs> but and then Biff and actually, she's wearing prostheses killed uh marty's dad yeah that was yeah the principal oh that that's a good the second one's the best one it is the best one take me a little it took me a long time to get to that conclusion but it, second second best second and i mean best. again um Xerxes are who is the guest host today because he's bringing up a lot of good <laughs> i mean just bringing up a lot of good points it is too aggressive for your average person to use it it's 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 tricky because to know to know that your edge is accurate is impossible. That's what it comes down to. And, you know, you can watch Seth and Matt duel that out. We should have those on and have them yell at each other for an hour, some time to go over the math, but we will, we will post a plus EV analytics article that he wrote about this. What last year, it has some pretty good points about why it is probably too aggressive for the average person. Why, you don't actually know what an edge is and why fractional Kelly's probably more accurate because you are just still guessing at an edge, no matter how accurate you think you can get a, a model to be. So in the, I mean, should we, should we kind of, I don't want, I don't want to say we, we need to be done right now, but if you had to take everything we said for the last hour and you're a bit, let's not say a beginning better, but like a rec pushing rec plus better, you're starting to find some edges. You're you're putting together power numbers, doing stuff like this. I mean, would the takeaway be just take it easy with your fucking staking, like flat bet? Don't go nuts right now. Save that for save that for a little later on in your in your progression. I, that's fine with me. I, the, the alternative is have a plan and stick to it. Yes, I like that. I mean, you don't you don't you know if you. I guess if you consider at the beginning of the season, you're going to place, you know, to have a plan, you're going to place X bets this season. Worst case scenario, you're a coin flipper. You go 50, 50. Well, how bad is it going to be? Can you stomach that? Is that going to cause stress in your life? Is that going to cause you to, uh, you know, have negative outcomes in your life? If so, then you need to reduce your stake. I, I think that's realistically the right approach for any person, even somebody who's been doing this for a really long time. Uh, I will self-evaluate before I go into next season if I want to continue placing limit bets at Tuesdays and Wednesdays in nitrogen or if I want to try something more aggressive. I will think very hard about it. Um, the we trade-offs had, we had are real. a long conversation about your NBA staking. <laughs> yeah, right. I, yeah, I for sure. Yeah, it, like, it is, it's agonizing. There are trade-offs. You scale up, you have more market influence, and all of a sudden you lose you lose some very important aspects if you know that that you are afforded I, if you aren't it's you like know. extra games in college basketball. And you know, you don't bet a lot into that market, but like it's not an issue. And I think that is something to to take into account 
for you know things market to market. There are big market differences. Like I made three bets tonight. Two of them are three-digit rotation numbers. One of them is a six-digit. It's an extra game. It's a swack game. In fact, we're sitting here 45 minutes after it was supposed to tip off. It is not tipped off yet because these smaller conferences, when they go to someone else's school to play, they bring the girls' team too, and the girls play first. And if the girls' game takes too long or goes to overtime, the the, the men's t- game never starts on time in some of these small conferences. So, I mean, aside from that, like when I – if I bet into this at a few accounts, I can't bet as much on that game. And that's something I've wrestled with. Like, is my, are my edges smaller on these extra games because they're low limit weird markets or are they the same? And I guess that's something I I have rotation numbers for all my bets. I should go back and look how I've done just on extra, extra games because um, in the end, like I should actually have two more accounts that I'm just betting more to even out my stakes because I'm betting less on the extra games and I might be leaving money on the table. So I think what you said is very accurate. Like not only evaluate and have a plan for next year, but evaluate how you did this year, how your staking was and if you should make changes because now I'm in my head about that. And I'm wondering if I've been just like sweeping these extra games and leaving, you know, leaving, uh, I mean, in some cases you only bet half as much on these last places so uh definitely evaluate your strengths and weaknesses and make a plan for next year or the next season or next month however you want to start planning it out it's your money i dig that man good good advice for people hopefully you guys enjoyed this podcast we will continue doing our evergreen series on mondays into the future and uh, we'll have some fun and interesting interviews along the way as well um best of luck as you continue to uh crush college basketball or whatever you're doing with your off season were you just trying to tell me to hit the music i did tell you to hit the music Is the music sound going faster and slower to you too, or is it? It just does that sometimes. It does that to me on Brown Bag Bets too. Oh, does it? it, it, it does that put, come across on listen, the podcast too? Oh, you listen to it back. It sounds just fine. It's just when we're okay. recording here. So it's just there's a little lag or something when we're recording. Okay. You think that's really his name?